Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. And now your host, Corey Peckford. Hey guys, on today's show, I had the pleasure of interviewing Kyle Ford. Kyle is well known in the investment community. He's been able to do more than $10 million in VTBs, so vendor take-back mortgages. Kyle explains how to structure a vendor take-back mortgage and the best way to present it to a seller. He also shares lots of great nuggets on this podcast about BTBs. If you've been enjoying and getting value from the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. Hey, uh, I would like to welcome Kyle Ford to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm great, Corey. Thanks for having me. Uh, we were chatting briefly before the show, and it sounds like you, you just came back from Mexico, and now you're kind of stuck in the Toronto airport without your bags, right? Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's quite a day today, but uh, still happy to be on. So yeah, well, thank you for coming on because yeah, I see, you know I know you're trying to catch up now too with uh, other meetings and stuff. But I've watched some of your stuff. We've never met in person, but I know you've done a lot of VTB type of uh, deals. And I'm just wondering uh, for our listeners, maybe could you just start off by just kind of explaining uh, kind of very high level what a VTB is? Yeah, so a vendor take back mortgage is the the technical term for it. It's also known as seller financing. So this is where the current owner of the property is actually lending you money to buy their property. So in its simplest term, instead of going to the bank to get the money, the person who's selling you the property could be lending you a small portion, a large portion, or in some cases, the entirety of the purchase price to buy their property. For sure. And then what are some advantages, I guess, for the seller to even consider a VTB? Yeah. So the big one that, that many people, you know, tend to focus on are the tax advantages. I'll preface that with make sure you get tax advice before you do this. But a major factor with vendor financing and the tax advantage is you're not receiving the money now as the seller or the vendor, which means it's not taxable yet. So as you get the money over time, instead of getting it in one large chunk and being at a higher tax bracket, you can separate it over time to lower the tax burden. Yeah, for sure. Can we kind of like step back to when maybe you structured your first VTB and maybe just give us a bit of a kind of a story, explain how that kind of came about and how that worked out for you? Yeah, yeah. So funny story, uh, the first VTB I ever got was on a cottage. This is back in 2016. So I invested for just over a year or three years in total, but a year seriously, where I actually knew what I was doing. The first couple, I was kind of investing by accident, if you will. But a year seriously investing, and I don't—I owned seven properties at that time. And one of the things that I always told people is, "My name's Kyle. I'm a real estate investor. I buy deals, and I can close cash." And what that meant was, I didn't have a top hat and a, a monocle on. I wasn't Mister Moneybags, but I had access to private lenders who could fund deals. So a colleague of mine at the time, I was working in the financial services industry. I told him that I was looking for a cottage. And I did my same pitch, uh, same pitch. I said, hey, Doug, I'm, I'm a real estate investor. I buy properties. I can close cash. Let me know. He goes, well, I have a cottage. I have a, a good friend who's got a cottage for sale. He showed it to me and it was listed for $329. And the listing was about to expire. So it was coming off the real estate market. It was listed for $329. And he wants to sell it. And at that point, and I know this might seem crazy in prices now, there was cottages available in another area for about $150,000. And that's the range that I was looking to buy in, $150,000. But he offered me this one at $329,000. I said, well, I know I said I closed cash, but would this guy be interested in vendor finance? 
would he be interested in giving me a mortgage? Because I can't pay three twenty nine in cash. But if he were to lend me a mortgage on their property, I would be able to potentially do that. And the colleague of mine, Doug, at the time said he's actually quite wealthy. And uh, I think he would be interested in that. I think he would be okay with it. So I went up, looked at the cottage, thought it was great, great property. Went down to the dock with him. We opened a couple of Coronas, sat, sat on the dock and talked to him about it. And I said, this is who I am. This is what I'm looking to do. I'm self-employed. I own a number of properties. It would be very difficult, if darn near impossible, for me to get a mortgage on this property. What I'd like to propose is I'm willing to pay your full asking price. So I'll pay top dollar for the property. I'll put 10% down. So in that case, it was $33,000 approximately. I'll put 10% down of my own money. So I got some skin in the game. And then you be the bank. And my understanding, and his name was James, was that you have a, a significant tax burden on this cottage. You paid very little for it. You're selling it for a lot more. That if you do this VTB with me, that you'll save some money on taxes. And he actually kind of turned me down. He said, this sounds decent, but it sounds complicated. I'd rather just sell it and and get the money. So if you can come up with the money, I would do it. And I threw a last-ditch effort. I said, can you just run it by your accountant and see if it makes sense? Sure enough, called me the next morning at 9 a.m. on the dot and said, how the heck did you know about this? My accountant said, this is a great idea. It's going to save me a ton of money. I wanted the money because I thought it was easier. But when my accountant broke it down for me in the tax savings, he goes, I'm not going to get nearly as much as I thought I would anyways. I'd love to do this deal with you. So right then and there, I I said, great. Interest rates were low at the time. I said, can you do it for 2%? He said, no. He goes, I I want more than that. I want 4%. So we actually wrote up the deal, 10% down, 30-year amortization at 3.99% interest rate. And he was my banker for the next five years on that mortgage, made payments every month. And that's maybe a longer version, but that's how I did my first deal. Amazing. So what would have been the kind of the posted interest rates at the time? So you locked in at, say, 3.99 on a vendor take back. He basically said he could get mortgage rates were about 299. So he said he could get about 2.5 on a GIC. So he said, if if I'm going to lend you the money, you know, it's a little, quote unquote, riskier. So I want better than a GIC. So he he started at five. I got him down to four. That's That's how the negotiation went. And then now if you were if you were showing up with a traditional lender and looking at this property for 329 obviously it was about to expire so people weren't moving on it so do you feel like he would had it overpriced like was it actually worth less on market No I actually don't I, I don't think it was marketed very well I'm sorry I should actually preface this I actually got it for 325 it was 329 I paid him 325 because he was saving the real estate cost so I paid 325 and I actually don't he had a couple offers on it they fell through on financing people who couldn't get financing on cottages I can tell you I had the property appraised 3 years later for 550 I believe it was appraised for 3 years after purchase so I think I paid market value I didn't get a deal on it Like I didn't get a discount on it, but I think I paid market value. I think I paid what the cottage was worth. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then some of the benefits, obviously, for him is like you said, so he can extend those capital gains out over five years, right? So defer the tax burden. And then for yourself, you don't have to do uh, like a traditional mortgage. They don't have to do a credit check on you, that kind of stuff, right? Could you maybe explain some of the benefits for you as a purchaser to pursue one of these vendor takebacks? Yeah, well, the truth was at the time I couldn't get mortgages. I was self-employed. I had partners on all my other properties. I owned these other properties at that point. I couldn't get a mortgage on it. So from a simplistic perspective, I'm a mortgage broker right now. I know the burden of documents. And in 2016, it was a little bit easier, but it's still quite cumbersome to get a mortgage. I didn't provide a single document. I didn't provide an NOA, a T4, a credit check, 
a signed consent, anything. There was a bit of a connection through our, the colleague that he vouched for me that I was a you know, reputable guy and a, yeah, and, yeah. A, and a legitimate businessman. But there was no document collection. There was no TDS ratio. There was no income to debt service ratio. So cottage properties are also more difficult to finance. Generally, there's a lot of concerns about Airbnb and short-term in- income. I told him I'm going to Airbnb it. That's how I'm going to pay the mortgage. He had zero issue with that. No problem. Amazing. And then let's say, would this still have been a deal for you? Had he said, no, I want to be paid out in three years. Like, could your numbers still work or do you, like on a VTB? We negotiated a five-year. Basically, there was enough principal pay down to get to the 20% equity. And my projections of my personal business income over three years, I was would have been more established at that point that I would have been able to get conventional financing to pay it out. So, And to be fair, I did pay him out in three years, not five. That's why I know that it appraised at 550. Because the value went up, I was actually able to pull equity Amazing. and get a better rate than he was offering me. So in three years later, the rates were super low. This is 2019. I think I got a 2% rate and a higher loan to value. So I actually pulled equity and got a lower payment. So I paid him out early. Amazing. And then like when you buy, a, uh, you know, traditionally, did you still do your due diligence and have an inspection done, that kind of thing? Or did you just kind of walk the property and, and then take the deal? Or what, how did that work? Yeah, so I would absolutely recommend anybody to do standard due diligence, regardless of the financing structure. So whether you get a VTB or not, in this specific case, we were, I was fairly experienced with properties. I didn't get a home inspection. I walked around. I, we went in the crawl space. I checked out the foundation. It was a steel roof. The property was a little bit dated, but we ran the, the water, checked things out. The one thing I actually probably should have done in hindsight is it was the first property I ever bought with a well. And we did have some problems with that with that later. Nothing that a home inspection would have found out at the time anyways. Like it was just wear and tear that happened because we were using it more as an Airbnb. But that would be one thing that I would have done. I probably would have got a well inspection just to understand it better more yeah, than anything. For sure. And now, yeah, let's say, because it sounds like the seller had it, it was basically fully paid for, right? He didn't have a mortgage. But let's say there was a $100,000 mortgage on that property. Could you still do a VTB? And how would that be structured? Yeah, so the seller can only VTB the equity they own. So if we were to use just easier numbers here, if I were to buy it for $300,000 and they owed 100 on it, the max VTB that they could offer me is 200000 Because when they sell it to me, the mortgage would need to be discharged. So in that example, I would need to put at least $100,000 down to pay off the existing mortgage and the seller could VTB the remaining equity. I see. Okay. And then because you've done quite a few of these deals, have you had any VTBs kind of go sideways and, and maybe you could share an example and then with some learnings that came from it? I can't say I've had any go sideways. I've had a great experience with the VTBs. The second VTB I did was a, was a million dollar VTB at the time. That was a three-year VTB, 3.99%, 30-year AM, same deal, different vendor, obviously. I held that VTB for three years that is a development type property that we're doing some luxury condos on. So at the end of the three years, I wasn't able to get a conventional mortgage to pay out the VTB. I got a private mortgage. So the rate went up and I just got a private mortgage to pay out the VTB. The vendor was super happy with the deal. So am I, my payment's just a little bit higher now. Yeah. Amazing. So what are, what are some of the terms for you as you analyze a VTB deal? And I know obviously it's kind of got to be a win-win, right? So the seller has to be comfortable with it. There's got to be some wins in there for them and wins for you. And so what are some terms that you would look for when setting up a contract? Yeah. So first of all, 
I guess terms that I look for, it's just going to make sense in my deal. So my payment needs to be debt serviceable. However, that's going to happen. I can't be overpaying for the property. I don't mind paying market value if I'm getting VTB financing, but I can't be paying above market value. Some of the terms that I add to help the seller, like to get them to accept the deal, this is a really popular one. And I know this helped a lot of people close the deal. I've offered up to a $400 non-refundable accounting review fee to have them take my offer to a professional tax accountant who specializes in real estate and have it analyzed and calculated to see the benefit to the vendor. So that basically says, in my offer, I'll pay you $400, non-refundable, so if you don't do the deal, you keep my $400. But to take this offer and have an accountant truly analyze it and explain to you how this could benefit to you from a tax perspective. I've had three different people take me up on that. All three of them have accepted the offer and told me not to worry about the 400 bucks. Wow, amazing. Because the accountant sold it. They're like, this is this makes a ton of sense. Now, you got to be careful with that too because some accountants could be like, oh, this guy's trying to screw you because they don't understand what a VTB. So you have to make sure that the accountant understands real estate and the VTB and knows that I'm not trying to rip them off. But if you've offered that in the offer, most of the time, the accountant right away says, this guy's a legitimate business person. He's willing to pay me for my services. They're not going to badmouth you in the deal, but just be a little bit cognizant of that. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. What's some suggestions on how to find, let's say, if you know, the listeners are thinking, well, how do I even find a VTB? Is it looking for those houses that are sitting on the market and not selling? What are you, any suggestions on how to find some? I'll tell you, for me, the number one thing that works 100% of the time, I shouldn't say 100% of the time, the number one thing that I do 100% of the time is I ask every single transaction that I am doing under any circumstance, I ask for seller financing. And, and it's amazing it, opening that conversation, even if you don't get the seller financing, it helps you learn more about the seller, that they are more generally concerned about other terms. They need the money. Okay, so if I can offer you, let's say I ask for seller financing and they say no because I need the money. Well, now I found out that there's a more urgent need for cash. So if I offer you a quicker closing date, can that get me a better price? So now the VTB is off the table because you need the money, but I was originally going to offer a 90-day close. If I offer you a 20-day close, can I get a better discount on the property? So 100% of the time, I ask for seller financing. I generally ask for seller financing before I ask a seller what they want for the property. Because if they'll hold financing for me, that changes the entire deal flow. If I understand that they're willing to hold the financing on it, I'm willing to pay more for the property because it gives me less private money costs. I maybe don't have to bring in a partner, many other factors. So I like to know if they'll hold seller financing before the price. So I think the other thing is for the listeners is don't think that you're going to people hat in hand. Please, can I have some money to buy your property? You're creating a win-win opportunity. Let's say it's somebody who owns an apartment building. And I've had some success recently on this. What I did is I calculated their cash flow. They own the property free, clear as a 10 plex. And they were cash flowing about, I'm going to rough number this, about $3,000 a month net after all their expenses. And they own the building free and clear. And I said, well, what are you going to do? What are you doing after this? Well, we're retiring. And I said, okay, so where are you currently using that $3,000 a month? They're like, yeah, that's our cash flow. I said, so if you were to give me a VTB and I could generate more than $3,000 a month from you and you don't have to de deal with the tenants, the toilets or anything, would that be something you're interested in? 
And they said, yeah, break that down for us. And I showed them, if I borrow the money from you at 5% and you get a higher rate of return, that's more cash flow than you were getting on the building. You'll still be secured against the building and you save money on taxes. I negotiated a $1.5 million VTB with that seller, which was 80% of the purchase price. Oh, it's so amazing. And then because obviously the seller social is depending on the percentage and, and the amortization. So they're going to get a monthly payment, just like if you were paying the bank, because they are the bank, right? And then do they ever ask for, because let's say, let's say five years out is too far, but they want some extra cash along the way. Do they ever, have you ever structured or heard anything being structured where they say, okay, we want 50 grand from you at two years from now kind of thing or. Yep. So you're going to hear my numbers just keep getting bigger. So uh, we have a large development site right now where we did a, it was a $6 million purchase price with a $4.5 million VTB. And that one is structured. It was, how do we do it? I'll ballpark the numbers again. I can't, I believe it was 850. So it was 1.5 down, 850 after a year, 650 after the second year. And three and then the final three million paid out after year three so but all of the interest was deferred there was no monthly interest it was just big chunks and then when we paid the chunk we had to pay the deferred interest on the chunk so it was 850 plus whatever that deferred interest was pay 650 plus whatever that deferred interest was pay so and that deal structure is because it was a development site we had equity partners coming into the deal that were paying out the debt as we were bringing them on into the project Okay, that makes sense. And then, because we you, earlier you mentioned that, so if you do have, if they do have a mortgage, is there no way to structure that and maybe uh, keep the mortgage on the property and do the VTB? Like, could you do? I'm trying to think of the term, I can't remember the term, but it, so like an agreement, an agreement for sale. Yeah, agreement for sale. There we go on on, on that that uh, mortgage. Yeah, structure that so way. I guess that changes the fundamental, though. One of the fundamental things of a, a vendor take back mortgage is the title is changing. Corey, if you own the property and it's in your name and it's free and clear, and you're going to VTB me $500,000, the title's being transferred to Kyle, and Corey is now the mortgage, the mortgagee. He's which, is registered, lender, right? which is registered as a mortgage position. If we're talking about an agreement for sale, the title isn't changing. So you are, you're holding the title, you're keeping your mortgage, and we have an agreement that I purchase and close on the property later. So... That you combining the two kind of changes the fundamental of it's no longer a VTB. It's an agreement for sale, which is a great strategy still. It's just not necessarily a VTB. Okay. So you're really a lot of better for you is to find some private uh, equity partners and have them pay that uh, mortgage off if there's some mortgage left and then do a VTB on the remainder on the equity. We're kind of in this interesting time again with rates have gone up, but there's still, there's still some great mortgage rates with three years left on deals where that agreement for sale type strategy works out really well, where once again, I can maybe pay you a little bit more for the property if we do it as an agreement for sale and we don't officially close it for a couple of years for the three years left in your mortgage term. If if you have a 1.99% rate locked in for the next three years and I'm going to be paying 6.2 on a new rate, well, that's going to cost me ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars a year more in interest, depending on that. So maybe I can pay full market value for your property now if you agree. We do an agreement for sale where we don't officially close on this for later until later. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you ever run into issues trying to? Because a lot of times there's realtors involved. Uh, do you ever run into issues where the realtor doesn't understand this, and and then you've got to also get them on board? 
I love my realtors. Great realtors worth their weight in gold. Uh, but not all realtors are cut from the same cloth. It's very important in many cases, when, with all due respect, to get the realtor out of the way, which they don't like to do. But when I'm negotiating VTBs on investment properties, I pretty much demand to talk to the seller directly. And the realtors can be there. And I say, I'm asking this person to lend me X number of dollars. I think it's right that they meet me, that they know who I am. And one of the biggest issues with realtors and VTBs, and, and I'm not trying to beat realtors up, but I do want to, because this is a problem. There seems to be a misconception with a lot of realtors that they don't get paid until the VTB closes. That's probably their concern, right? That's what and they're. That's why they're blocking the deal. They think it's complicating things. They also, and this is a lot of time for the seller's realtor, they have a fiduciary and a moral and an ethical obligation to do best for their client. And most realtors think that means getting the most amount of money and as quick as possible. But what if a VTB actually aligns with their client better? It gives them tax advantages. They get a better price for their property. They get consistent income from their investment going forward. And I've had some great realtors who have helped me negotiate some amazing VTBs, but I've also had challenges in other scenarios where the realtors just didn't understand and they thought they were doing what's best for the client by killing the VTV, but it was actually worse for them. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's very important in these scenarios. Uh, I find what helps is writing out an email and breaking it down and say, hey, listen, I, I don't want to step on anyone's toes here, but I wanted to break this down. Here's what I'm proposing. Here's why I'm proposing it. Here are the potential tax advantages. Here's my $400 non-refundable. Have your client review this with the accountant. But before this is accepted, I think it's imperative that myself and the seller have an opportunity to connect. Being that I'm asking for X amount of dollars to be lent to me over the next three to five years, I think it's fair that the seller has an opportunity to meet me and know who I am and, and why I'm asking for this. For so, sure. Yeah. And do you put in there, because I'm sure your accountant's very familiar with it. Now, if I if my account isn't, do you put in there like if, you know, you could also reach out to your accountant as well, uh, you know, if they need any clarity? Yeah, I generally recommend, first of all, it depends on the deal. On a cottage deal, because I bought cottages on VTBs and developments and investment properties. On the development and investment properties, generally, it's okay to work with the accountant that they're already using because they likely have more real estate experience because their client deals with this type of stuff. On the cottages, sometimes they're just, they don't have an accountant. They go to H&R Block and file their taxes, right? They don't have somebody that is regularly knowledgeable on this stuff. So depending on if they're not sure about their accountant, I say go to a big five. Usually go to, you know, go to the big names, the big companies. A $400 fee should be more than adequate for them to do a review. Or, you know, I suggest to the realtor, do you, the seller's realtor, do you have a good accountant who understands real estate that would be willing to do this review if your client doesn't have a quality real estate investor-focused account? Yeah, that's great. And then how about, and then you probably similar with lawyers. You want a lawyer that's familiar with a, with a VTB and structuring it, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. I mentioned this earlier about the accountants. An accountant doesn't know, might say, it sounds like this, like this is a scam or this is a, a ripoff. Uh, the lawyer needs to be on board with this as well. And that's often, and I'll tie it back to that email that I send earlier. That usually helps get referenced later where the seller can say, well, here, when the lawyer says, what's going on here? What's this VTB? They can say, oh, well, I agreed to this. We met with the guy. Here's the email that he sent. He broke it all down. We went to the accountant. The accountant said 
that this is going to save me money in taxes. Now when the lawyer gets it, it's like, okay, there's context to this. It's not, why did you sell your property for a million dollars, but you're only getting 200? Where's the other 800 going? Now there's detailed context behind it. The accountant's on board. The realtors have understood. The guy who's asking for it is credible. He offered money to pay for my accountant. He sent me details. He wanted to meet with me. Yeah. So I'll add this too. I know of a VTB who went bad that never closed. And I think one of the key issues was the buyer and the seller never met in person. And on closing, the seller didn't understand that it was a five-year term with a 30-year amortization. But they didn't understand what amortization meant. Mm. They thought the entire amount of the VTB was to be paid up in five years via payments. So what that meant is the payment should have been $1,500 a month on a 30-year AM, but the seller thought that it was going to be $9,000 a month to pay off the whole VTB in five years. Yeah, wow, that's that's a huge difference in, in <laughs> expectations. And, and that lawyer killed the deal because their client didn't understand, hmm. right? So that is an example of a lawyer killing the deal. And frankly, rightly so, if the client didn't understand that what they signed, that needs to be killed. But it, trying to sneak things by in a VTB is not going to help anything. And if you're doing a VTB, you're going to have some relationship with the seller for the next couple of years, right? You're going to communicate over email. They might ask for something for their taxes. Like, I don't want to say you're in bed with this person, but you have a relationship with them. It's good to meet them and put a name to the face and make sure that, you know, everything's cordial and, and just easy to work with, right? Yeah, that makes sense. And now, and if a deal were to unravel near the end of the term, so let's say the person that set up the VTB couldn't, you know, get a mortgage or that kind of thing, the property would just go back to the seller, right? So just like, how does that work? How does that kind of play out? Yes and no. Okay. So it's just like if you get a go to the big red bank or the big green bank and get a mortgage, and at the end of the five-year term, they don't want to renew. It's not very common. Most banks will renew and offer you something. They may not be the best rate, but they'll offer you something. But let's say they don't. What happened? They issue a demand and they start the power of sale process. So in Canada, it's not just, hey, in five years, five years in a day, you didn't make the payment, my property. You have to initiate power of sale. Okay. Yeah, a, I believe it's a 15-day notice to start the power of sale process. So that's the demand letter saying you have 15 days to pay us. If not, then it's a 35-day force the power of sale process. The property needs to be listed, listed for sale, proper exposure. Like it can't be, you know, hey, we listed the property for a day and the vendor, original vendor's brother bought it. It's sold. It's got to be proper marketing, proper sale. And if there's a difference between the VTB, any penalties, fees, or legals incurred from having to go to power of sale, and the sale price minus real estate commission, the new owner gets their money back. So I'll I'll give you a good example because it's fairly straightforward. The property that I mentioned that I got the million dollar VTB on for a three-year deal. And at the end of the three years, the vendor didn't want to renew, they didn't want to extend, and I couldn't get a conventional mortgage on it. I needed a private mortgage. I owed a million dollars on that. Wow. I paid 1.15 for the property three years before that. At the end of the three-year term, the property had appraised for 2.15 million. So it was worth 2.15. <laughs> I owed a million. Amazing. It wasn't hard for me to get a new mortgage on the I couldn't get a conventional because of the property type, but it was easy to get a new private mortgage. And the vendor, I actually think if I in hindsight, 
I think he kind of thought that he could take it back, even though it's not true. Because he he's like, I don't want to renew and I want you to be paid out on time. I said, no problem. I got a new private mortgage. I was paying him before I had to pay 10. So it's expensive. But I made a million dollars in equity in those three years of borrowing those vendor funds. So had I not been able to get that private mortgage, had I not been able to pay him out on year three, he would have had to initiate power of sale, go on the market. It appraised for 2.1. Maybe it sold for 2 million. The realtor gets paid 50 grand. The vendor gets paid a million that he's owed. I get my 950 in the spread of that. It's still my equity. It still would be yours. That's interesting. That's Canadian power of sale law. In the U.S., totally different ballgame. But you, that's pretty fascinating that you're still protected uh, at the end if you know if something were like that were to happen. That's that's great information for me and for the listeners to hear. And once again, that's a fundamental difference between an agreement for sale and a vendor take back. In an agreement for sale, and, and I'm hardly an expert on these, but my understanding of agreement for sale is if you can't fulfill the contract and there's equity built in over those years, it's lost. Yeah. But on yeah. a VTB, you've taken title. The only difference with a VTB is the bank isn't a bank, it's a person. But all the same power of sale laws around protecting consumers apply whether you borrow from a bank or a private citizen. Yeah, that's great. With the market shifting, obviously we got interest rates continuing to rise and the market pulling back depending on where you are. Do you, do you see VTBs maybe becoming more common and maybe more opportunity out there for them? Yeah, professional real estate investors are licking their chops right now because this is the first time in years where we can finally get terms. We can negotiate deals. I'm based out of Ontario, and it's been crazy the last couple of years, but you can negotiate terms. Most people didn't want to talk about a VTB. I'm going to list it for a million. I'm going to get an offer for 1.5, closing in 12 days with no conditions. So you can negotiate. Now you can negotiate. You can talk terms. You can make a conditional offer. Let's say I ask you for a VTB, Corey. When you say, I need the money, can't do the VTB, but I want to sell. And let's say I'm the third person you've tried to sell to, and the first two have fallen through because of financing. They, they couldn't get the financing. Now, maybe I made the offer. You said, no, I can't do the VTB. I made the offer. My 10-day conditional period is up. And I come back and say, listen, Corey, I can't get the financing either. And I think I know the problem that your expenses versus your income on the property, the NOI isn't very good, the net operating income. And I think that's why your other two deals fell through on financing because mine's falling through too. I know you said you weren't interested in the VTB the way I presented it before. But what if instead of lending me $500,000, you lent me two fifty dollars for two years? And then I can firm up on the deal. I can get the financing now because I'm getting the VTB to cover the shortfall. And I know it doesn't get you your full amount of money you needed, but it gets you some money now, some payments for the next little bit. And now I've identified there's a financing problem on this property. That's why your deals keep falling through. And in today's market, we're seeing that more where sellers are like, oh, okay, yeah, offers keep falling through. Now I understand why. I really didn't want to do this VTB thing, but I do want to sell my property for health reasons, personal reasons. I don't need the full 500. 250 would do the trick. All right, let's do it. Let's do this thing. Let's review it with the accountant. Let's talk to the lawyer. This makes more sense to me now. So in today's market, I think you're going to see a lot more of it. Also, there is the wealth shift that's happening. We have a, the older people that are holding the bulk of our wealth who are very sensitive to taxes. 
and they're doing their net worth calculation and then they see their net worth when they own their property, they see it after they pay their taxes and that number is a lot scarier for them. So if you can provide an offer that protects some of their net worth via tax savings and provides them stable income for retirement, gets them a fair market value for their property with reasonable sales terms, I think you're going to see a lot more people who are a lot more palatable to it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And and then obviously having the right team around you of professionals to help kind of guide and, and kind of give advice, like you're saying, have that accountant that you refer to, having the lawyer that understands VTBs, all those people around you just to kind of make sure the deal goes smoothly and everybody's understanding what's going on. Yeah, it's huge. It's, it's amazing. Huge. It's like, huge. How much would you say this strategy or this doing it this way has leveraged your portfolio as an investor? The metric that I can give you is personally closed on over $10 million in vendor financing. Incredible. And, and have most of them been on MLS? And like, is there, is there some sort of pattern that you've seen where the, hey, this could be an opportunity? Most of them are not on MLS. Most of them are not. I have got a handful on MLS. 80-20, 80% off market, 20% on ballpark would be the range. Yeah, it's just kind of interesting because like, is it just through word of mouth? People know, hey, uh, Kyle does BTBs. And then so real maybe is a real estate agent re- reached out to you saying we might have something here or how, how what's a good way for people to kind of find something like, like a deal like so this? This is advice I'll give that's more real estate investor focus and less VTB focus. As a real estate investor, you need to create deal flow pipeline. And I mentioned in the very beginning of it, for me, I tell people I'm an investor. I buy dilapidated properties, any condition. I'm looking for severable lots. I can close cash. I market myself as a person that can buy properties. That gives me the most access to off-market deals. Then one of the first things I say in those deals is, as I mentioned, I can close cash. And if I close cash, that's going to get you the best price. But before we talk about price, are you open to holding financing? Because if you're open to holding some financing, the price we talk about could be better. So if you want cash, lower price. If you don't need the cash, higher price, right? It gets that conversation going. So, yeah. That makes sense. And if there was a deal, let's say, just as an example, let's say it's 400000 they have a $100,000 mortgage, and you don't have maybe a private equity partner, how hard would it be to go to the bank and say, I would like a mortgage on this portion of it, and then you take on the vendor take back? Full transparency on residential type properties. Most banks are not going to like a VT. Commercial financing, they are much more open to it. Okay. So if you're, if you're buying a sixplex or greater, so small apartment buildings, those type of things, commercial lenders are much more palatable to VDB, VTBs, pardon me. If you're buying a duplex and you're going to go to the big red bank for an 80% mortgage and try to get a 20% VTB, they're probably not going to be okay with that and not going to consent to it. Credit unions are more open to it. Most lenders will want to see, quote unquote, skin in the game. So if they're going to do an 80% mortgage, they're going to want to see at least a 10% down payment and a 10% VTB. I'm not saying it can't be done, guys. You know, it can be done. There are, there are deals. We've done them. I've seen them happen. But I, I just want to be honest with most people that if you say, go to your mortgage broker and say, hey, I got a 20% VTB, give me an 80% mortgage. And Kyle said, this is no problem. You're going to have to be work with the, the broker. They're going to have to find likely a credit union who's more palatable to it. Where I've had the most success is with the VTBs is I either uh, get a large VTB, so I only need a small down payment, or a small VTB in second position, so I get a private lender in first position who doesn't care about the VTB. It's mostly the banks and the institutions who care about the VTB, but a private lenders, they don't mind. I actually, a lot of my private lenders, 
it helps gain my credibility. They're like you negotiated that. That's a great deal. Like you're paying this guy 3.9 and I and you're paying me 10. Good for you. Yeah. I don't care if they're in second position. Doesn't bother me. So, you know, that makes sense. You've been doing this for a while. You probably helped other people structure or looked at other deals that, you know, for somebody else. Can you speak of any kind of things where you've like, Hey, that's a mistake or I, that's a bit of a flag or can you guys yeah. share something like that? Thank you for prompting me this because I wanted to bring this up and I'm going to just say it bluntly because I, I, that's just who I am. There's a lot of people negotiating a lot of completely useless. And here's an example. I had a client come to me once. Look, I got a, it was a million dollar purchase ballpark. I got a 40% VTB. So $400,000 at 6%, which is, this was fairly recently. So that's the market rate. And I looked at it and I said, okay, but it says right here, there's no secondary financing allowed. Yeah. They said, absolutely. I can't put a second mortgage or anything behind them. I said, then you have to put 60% down. You got a market rate mortgage <laughs> that you could have got a higher loan to that. Like, what is it? But I got a VTB. And I appreciate the gusto, but if, for example, that was a 40% VTB and that was about the range that they would qualify for and they had no issue with putting a second on, now there's value there. You've got 40% of your deal funded, we can put a second in. I also see another one I see more commonly is a second position VTB, but the loan to value is capped at like 75%. So let's use that example, million dollar purchase. They can get a $200,000 second mortgage, but it can't exceed 75% loan to value. Okay. Well, now you still need to put 25% down and then you need to find a first position lender who's okay with this VTB being in there, who probably would have rather just done first position. Yeah. Key to the second position VTB is having no cap on loan to value. So Corey, I need, I buy your property for a million dollars. I need you to give me a $200,000 VTB. I'll pay you 10% on it for two years, but no cap on LTV, which means I can go get an $800,000 first mortgage. You're going to be up to hundred percent loan to value of your, of your property, but that's a helpful VTB. That's a negotiated deal. But if there's a cap on LTV on the second, that is often a deal killer. If they cap you at 90%, that's not bad. Like, hey, we want you to put 10% of your own money in the deal. We'll do a, a second position VTB of 200 grand, but we want you to put 100 grand of your, of your own money in the deal. Okay, that's, that's fair. The second position is capped at anything lower than 75%. It's kind of just in the way. If the first position is like 30 to 40% loan to value, but you can't put a second on, it's kind of just in the way. And I don't want to kill the, the drive. Like go out there and ask everyone for a VTB, but it's got to make sense, guys. You got to talk to your broker. You got to talk to your financier and make sure that this VTB is actually going to play into your financing package. And there's nothing wrong with if you negotiate a VTB and you say, hey, listen, I, I want to ask for this VTB, the second position VTB. And if you can do it, great. But my first position lender may come back and say, it's just not helpful. In that case, we may just decide to pay you out in cash. So are you open to that? Most people are okay with that. You presented it in a way that makes sense. I've had a couple of people where we negotiated the VTB and I've come back to them and I've said, hey, we don't actually need it. We're just going to pay it out. And they're like, oh, darn, like, we'll still do the deal. But you really sold us on that. Our accountant was on board. Everyone <laughs> was on board. Like, But if you don't need it, you don't need it. No problem. We'll take the cash. So interesting. Yeah, that's such great information you just shared. All that, the listeners, for sure. We're getting close. I know you got you got a busy day and you got other meetings booked. So we're just going to kind of come to a close here pretty quick. I'm going to ask you some quick rapid uh, fire questions. So. What's an app or software you use either for your business or personally that you couldn't live without? 
I, I'm not very techie. I'm a big G Suite guy. The entire Gmail suite, the Drive, the the calendar. There's on Instagram lately. There's been a bunch of stuff uh, showing people how they don't utilize Gmail to its full extent. So the promotional folder thing to get all the spam out of your email, the undo button on sending emails. I love that. Uh, uh, so I, and it, not, not in a bad way, but I always send it. I'm like, shoot, I forgot. I, I want to add that little that yeah. little piece. So I'm a big G Suite guy. I know that's not the coolest app you've heard of, but really helps my business and keeps everything in one area. For I sure. also add to that, the thing I like about it, we do a lot of communication on like Google Sheets and Word with my team and it's editable by everybody. So like we have a team, like we're going into a document, we're putting notes and people can add and comment on just helpful. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of a living version, right? Everybody can access and add information right. to. Yeah. And then what's something people can't find out about you on Google? Anything come to mind? Oh, it's somebody. So <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a backwards question. It's never the easiest one to answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's what I will say. And I don't know. You probably can find out this on me on Google. Everybody. I recently had people send me messages being like, hey, Kyle, I know you really don't invest anymore and you mostly are just a mortgage broker now, but I wanted to ask you an investment question. I am a real estate investor first and foremost. I only became a mortgage broker because I was struggling to find a broker to keep up to the speed of my portfolio growth and I wanted to help other people. So I'm a real estate investor first and foremost. And though I, I'm blessed to have an amazing mortgage team, that we have the Mortgage Alliance Conference tomorrow. I find out, I, I think I finished in the top five nationally for brokers. Amazing. So super proud of, of that. My team, first and foremost, they're amazing. Reach out to them. They're, they're awesome. But I'm a real estate investor, first and foremost. I'm a family guy. I got a two and a half year old. Got my, I got a dog named Scoop, my lovely wife, Chelsea. And we love to, we love to travel. We go try to go away once a month. I, they're not vacations because I, I never stop working, but I love to travel and, and that stuff. So that's amazing. Once a month. That's awesome. For three weeks on, one week off. That's, yep. that's good for you. And, and, and we still work remote. Like I'm, I'm not off. I'm still working. Yep. But, uh, you know, I've spent 10 years in financial services. Uh, I've taken risks, had, a, had sleepless nights to be in a position to, to see the world. I will tell you something, a bit of a personal thing. My dad, when he was 55, got the government pension, was retiring and was diagnosed with Parkinson's. So that was seven years ago now. And he's, he's doing okay. Medicine's come a long way. But he's in, he's, I watched him rush his retirement, go to Europe right away, do all of this stuff right away, because he wasn't sure if he would have his mobility later on in life. And I'm not waiting. I'm not waiting to 55 to 60 to 65 to retire and start enjoying my life. Yeah. I'm building a life abundance, freedom now, because the future is not guaranteed. 100%. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Thanks for sharing that. And then what you got a favorite book or movie? Uh, <laughs> my favorite movie is Cool Runnings, the Jamaican bobsled team. Calgary Olympics. Uh, shout out yeah. to that. Favorite book. Uh, what do I like? The, the four hour work week was one that I really liked. Rich Dad, Poor Dad is the classic. Think and Grow Rich yeah, is a, another, another classic. classic. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of boring with that stuff. I, I like the, the mainstream stuff. So so for people, for listeners, I'm sure some, you know, they're going to want to reach out to you, have questions. What's the best way for people to get in contact with you? Yeah, info at Kyle Ford Mortgages. Monique or Leslie Ann, my uh, assistants, will, will, can get a, a call scheduled in. I'll meet with most people for, for 15, 30 minutes to, to chat and see where things go. If you're looking for mortgage help, we are predominantly based out of Ontario. We're in the process of, of starting a, I got to be, I can't speak too much about it, but we are very close to having a private mortgage solution uh, available nationally. So that's about nice. as much as I can say about that. But uh, 
We are, and I'm excited to be, hopefully uh, Alberta is a market that we are absolutely excited to be able to do private mortgages in because I've said for years that uh, Alberta was at the cusp waiting and it looks like that's finally starting to turn uh, in the in the right direction. And uh, obviously the, the landlord laws are favorable and I just love Alberta. I go out all the time, so. Awesome. And are you, are you on Instagram? Any other platforms? I am Kyle Ford Invest, Kyle Ford uh, on Facebook. Info uh, KyleFordMortgages.com is the best email to get at me at. Okay, awesome. We'll have links in the show notes as well. So great. Okay, thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate you fitting it in. I know you're super busy. Yeah, happy to do it, Corey, and uh, uh, hope everyone got value out of it. So. Oh, 100%, they did. Great. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.